No more defenses. Our army is wiped out. Artillery, air force, everything wiped out. This may be the last broadcast. We'll stay here to the end. Welcome to Media and the End of the World. Hey, Ralph, I have a fun fact for you. Well, let's hear it, Adam. We are coming up on our one-year anniversary, or oh. birthday, or whatever it is. Uh-huh. Do I have to buy you something? Is that am I, am I obliged to bring you a gift? Yes. Since it's our anniversary? Yes, you have to pay for the domain that we now have to renew. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I found out. This we're, is this is an incredibly low budget. We're not yet. We're not? Yeah, we're no. getting there, though. Yeah, yeah, so I don't... I guess we shouldn't celebrate right. early in case the world ends right. before then. But as of right now, we're almost to our birthday. That's amazing. That's really kind of terrifying, actually, in a way. I'm going to have to think on that. In my, you know, in my full moments of mindfulness. How many things have you committed to for a full 12 months? (laughs) (laughs) Very few things. I I do have a dog who's seven. Does that count? (laughs) Yeah, of course. And I have uh, grown children. So I I actually have a pretty good record for, it's actually laziness, right? I mean, you just don't get into the, I don't want to change anything. Just keep everything the same. Well, How about you? Are you you good with consistency or are you uh, a flash in the pan type? Um, on creative projects, I like to bounce around. So, like yeah. doing anything for a, a full year is a, is is a pretty pretty big deal. Uh huh. Yeah, because I because I I can get bored working on a specific type of media and want to move on to something else or have a new project. But luckily, this this is something that's it's living. It continues to evolve. Yeah, we continue to have great people join us, and uh, it's not just us talking. There's there's a great person in the room with us, actually. Well, there's there's several, actually several great people in the room with us. But, but particularly one with a microphone. One with a microphone. We should probably introduce. Uh, <laughs> Kevin Costello is a screenwriter and OU alum is screening tonight at OU his film Brigsby Bear. How are you, Kevin? Uh, I'm great. Thank you guys so much for uh, having me. It's an honor to be here on this momentous uh, occasion uh, uh, or th- near the momentous occasion of one year. It's, uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for Ho- having hopefully me. Hopefully the world doesn't end before you get a chance to actually listen to this it's seeming but, more and know, more likely it, it is it is seeming more and more likely every time that i look at what's going on in the world i'm the climate report was devastating the IPP, ipcc <laughs> yes uh, like uh, what am i going to say to my kids like <laughs> hey you got 10 years make the most of it you know <laughs> it's right. gonna be bad yeah, um, they, they've really decided to ratchet up the the way that they're talking about it. You yeah, know? Like, yeah. Like they're really in your face with it now. Well, so was there anything like in terms of this climate thing? Like, is there any particular moment that made it real to you, to either of you, Kevin or Adam? I mean, I, I think living in uh, Los Angeles for the past decade has been, uh, as with many parts of the country, been very real just in terms of like the anecdotal evidence of droughts happening and then more and more hot weather and the sort of like persistent sort of heat wave that just lasts for the entire year out there now. Um, but uh, my brother-in-law is actually a uh, earth system scientist at uh, JPL, the uh, NASA uh, uh, in Pasadena. And so I get firsthand lots of doomsday. Doom saying information from him <laughs> all the time. Um, so Thanksgiving is a really up 
kind of yes yeah. yes it is it is uh and uh i will say that a lot of members of my family aren't completely uh convinced about it yet so he really has to uh to bang the drum but it's scary and it's particularly the sort of you know the the ideas for policymakers of like the ways that we need to reduce carbon emissions the sort of the baseline for what we have to do is basically more intense change than we've ever yeah. accomplished yeah, like as we a have species. to change it's, everything it's monumentally everything about going to. unfortunately yeah. our public policy now has oppositional disorder so when you ask it to do something it does the exact opposite right <laughs> so hey we need to stop using coal what more coal okay we'll do it <laughs> all we'll i heard get, was coal right <laughs> and look at india and china in on it too we'll really do this right yeah that's how, the one that got me and i don't mean to be dark or anything like that was there was a, a video of a polar bear that just I was in tears, actually, and I hate to be such a, but it was it was really devastating. I've seen this. It was yeah. it was really upsetting. So, so anyway, thank you for listening to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about a little bit of your background. So, what sure. I know is, uh, born in Oklahoma, moved to San Diego, and somehow uh, opted to come back to Oklahoma. How did you end up back in Oklahoma for school? Um, I have the uh, my dad's military career ah, to thank for that. Okay. He was a, a naval officer, so we were stationed in San Diego. In addition to Pax River, Maryland, and Corpus Christi, Texas. And uh, Tinker was at Tinker for uh, the majority of his career. So that's how we find our way back here. So uh, bouncing around all over the place, but I still feel Oklahoma is like my baseline. That's that's where I feel like I am from and where I grew up. So. Well, you, you know, you mentioned on the way here that you read um, the Boomtown book. I did. Yes. So I'm, I'm really yeah. curious what you thought about it. Um, I thought it was great. Uh, uh, the out the the sort of the fact that it was an outsider, not an Oklahoma writing it, sort of like pained me a little bit and made me defensive because I feel like in Los Angeles, especially, I'm always defensive about Oklahoma, and I'm and I'm always saying it's like it's actually way more interesting than you realize, and it, there's actually a lot more going on there and especially in the past like 10 15 years i've seen it change so much um and a lot of inspiring stuff is happening um but uh i thought the book was was really interesting there are names of people that i had never heard before and that's going through the oklahoma educational system and um and learning about oklahoma history but i feel like there was a lot of things in there about uh the civil rights movement in oklahoma city that were extremely interesting that i never learned um and a lot of the sort of like the early sort of boosters kind of figures of Oklahoma um, was is fascinating and uh, and really really cool because we drive by these things like Lake Stanley Draper right. and you're like that's some guy yeah right? that's a guy right? yeah. but, <laughs> <laughs> some guy probably with a lot of money turned out to be true but then there's a story behind it all yes too, so. yes exactly and I was I was pleased at how uh, empathetic and sort of uh, uh, I, I think he was very won over by the state and that it comes through in the writing so mm-hmm. I, I was pleased I've been recommending it to people as a sort of way to sort of wrap their head around mm-hmm. Uh, the the soul, the personality of Oklahoma a little bit more because it's not one thing. It's like a hundred things. Yeah, yeah. My favorite was I had a, a student several years ago do a really – it was on the Centennial and they went to Guthrie and shot the reconstruction of the – marriage between oh. Oklahoma gentleman and Indian maiden, right. which is just this like astounding it's, idea. Of it's how a little rough. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, you can do this every hundred years forever. It's right. gonna be, it'll be fine. No one will be offended. 
good. Right. The metaphor will always be perfect right, and exactly. never considered in yeah. a deeper way. Right. Yeah. We were talking about when you got in. So we, so we overlapped with OU Student Media. There was this great merger that took place, I don't know, when 2006, 2007, where there was sort of two competing media entities kind of on campus. There was the SIN, which was like the Sooner Information Network, and then there was OUDaily.com, and it merged and became hub.ou.edu. Uh, and I remember, Kevin, you having videos on on the Hub, but also on Sin and sort of watching them. And I feel like in some way I got to experience, I don't know if that was the beginning of you experimenting with video or your or writing uh, and some of the work that you guys did uh, during that specific period. But I'd be interested to hear about how that shaped, you know, the, just the experience of being a student, given a camera and giving a platform to publish something, because this is right at the beginning of YouTube. And you know, right. vi- viral videos and uh, collegehumor.com isn't really quite a thing or quite the thing that it's become now. Yeah, it's, it's so true. It's so weird thinking back on that time, because when I, I started at SIN, I think it was uh, a branch of the IT department. I'm not positive I about that. I think it's that. probably right. But yeah, it was just like, right. it was the homepage that everyone's computer right. went to. Um, and uh, I remember I was considering starting at the Daily, and uh, there was something about SIN that just seemed sort of like messy and punk rock and like not journalism. Yeah. And I was like, I, all I want to do is write the dumbest stuff I can think of. Um, and there will be plenty of time for hard journalism. I'll do it in classes. And like, I, I just wanted to do this, you know, cr- crazy, silly s- satire, that kind of stuff. And when uh, I met Mark Potts and, and Cole Selix, who, uh, he, you know, he does video for the LA Times. Now he's a very successful editor, videographer, director. Um, and, uh, and we were just making movies without any idea of how to even host them on the website because YouTube didn't exist. And we were begging the IT people to sort of like figure out a way to like host our videos. And, and so it all happened around that time. But yeah, the idea of going viral, we were just doing it for ourselves. And like, you know, we thought it was funny that like, it didn't feel sanctioned. It feel, felt like we were getting away with something that we were going on on campus. Yeah, and you you these... found some really bad influences early on. <laughs> that, was, that was pretty but, impressive. Um, uh, one video that I remember very clear was uh, you and some friends going to Stillwater to interview uh, OSU students about what they thought about OU without telling them you were actually from OU. Right, and yes. So yeah, like some of the answers that they gave you. So how do you feel about suitors? You yeah, know? it was uh, it was very cringeworthy doing it. Uh, and I, I felt bad like tricking them into saying stuff and then sort of pulling the rug out from under them. But uh, it, yeah, it, it, was ext- it was all in good fun. And I think we were trying to satire, satirize just like the idea of the intensity of this rival sh- rivalry when it's like, you know, we're more, con- but it got lost a little bit because it's just so easy to make fun of uh, Stillwater. So we really just like lean <laughs> into it. Um, but yeah, I, th- some of my, my, my best memories are, are doing that kind of stuff. And when OU, when the hub merged with OU Daily and this whole new thing was born, um, I, you know, I remember thinking like, I don't know how we really fit into this more sort of like student media felt a little little more buttoned up a little more like hey we're preparing future professionals and and I was like you know I don't know what the hell I'm going to do with my life I'm just I just want to do dumb stuff right now um, and uh, you know we tried a lot of stuff some of it worked some of it didn't work um, Trey Savage who was the editor of the daily at the time um, uh, he he allowed us to do you know written comedy and print and like a special insert that we had in addition to the stuff that we were doing at hub and um, and it, it was you know it, it was very formative in terms of like how I thought about 
about what I wanted to do in the context of like, you know, being a part of something bigger, you know, not just like doing it for myself, but like, you know, what is all this dumb stuff actually adding and w- what is it worth? And, 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 uh, and so when they eventually told me, Hey, you have to stop doing this. I think I was like, you know, a little offended, a little like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's us against the, the man. Um, but, uh, the man was Trace. <laughs> the man was Trace. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was super fun. It's like this weird lost era before like YouTube really took off and we were just, I, I think a lot of them don't even, a lot of the videos we made don't exist anymore because of, um, uh, music rights like mm. situations. Well, that's kind of nice the, though. That it, yeah, it's there, good. I'm there, glad. There's that period. I mean, not that, not that being critical of your work, but like you, it, it's such an experimental phase of your career that, right. you know, that, that now everything exists forever. Now, and that evolved, right? I mean, you went on even post-college to continue to do work with them and work on, on bigger projects or? Yeah, we did. Uh, we actually made a feature film. Um, uh, we, we received a grant from the uh, film and media studies department uh, for uh, screen for a screenplay. It was a basically an award given to like a, a screenplay, a finished screenplay um, in the department. And I think that uh, we had the advantage of being the only people that turned in a finished screenplay. So <laughs> they gave us $5,000 and we were like, let's go make a movie with $5,000. And this was uh, pretty much right after I graduated in 2007. And uh, all credit, by the way, to Mark Potts, because he was the one that was like, and he still does this, is just like a one-man production crew and and uh, just, just so determined to make stuff happen. And I was kind of along for the ride. But, you know, we had the script that we all wrote together. We shot it um, over the course of a couple weeks in Oklahoma City and Austin. And uh, we took it to uh, the Dead Center Film Festival, I believe it played at the Austin Film Festival, or or, so, or something like that. I'm I'm, not, I'm actually not not sure about that, um, but uh, yeah, that was the first thing that made me feel like okay, like I, you know, I I know what it takes to kind of do this, and uh, that was before I moved to LA. It's kind of the last creative thing I did in Oklahoma before moving out. Okay, so. Then you moved out there, made the big transition. I did, yeah. Was it? Did it feel like home going, like going home, or going oh, away? Which... Uh, it, it definitely felt like going away. It, it still felt like uh, very much of a culture shock, even though I lived in San Diego. Um, that's it's much different than LA. Everything is just so insane, and uh, you know, I, I felt a lot less special as like a person. It's like, hey, you know, I'm a Midwestern white guy trying to do comedy, and everyone was like, that's literally thousands of you. Yeah. Like, no one cares. I was going to say, when you were talking before about being in a room full of people and having to explain Oklahoma to right. them, that you're in a room full of people, none of whom are actually from L.A. Yes. nobody's from L.A. No, everyone's right? a transplant yeah. there. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I had no idea where I fit into I, I had no professional inroads, no no sort of internship set up. I was sleeping on my friend's couch, uh, and uh, I knew two people, and that was kind of it. I just sort of figured, you know, if I could work for free somewhere for a little while, that would be enough to maybe, you know, meet people and and climb the ladder um, and um, I took a, uh, a screenwriting course uh, from uh, the author Lou Burney who I think mm-hmm. still teaches here and he sort of told me if uh, you know there's a very specific way to become a screenwriter. You you go out there, you intern, you get a job working for a producer, you answer phone calls, you read every script, you write, and then... You it, do summaries of yeah. them so they don't have to read. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah you do the script <laughs> coverage. And uh, and so, you know, uh, that that felt like enough author- of authority to me to say, like, okay, that's the, that makes sense. I'm going to go try that. And, uh, and to his credit, uh, and to, also to the credit of just, like, sheer dumb luck and all these random chance and circumstances, 
and stuff. It that's exactly sort of the path that it took. Mm. That's. Did you see Barry by any chance? The I, HBO series. Yes. Yeah, I did. I have. I, I was. I was watching it with a couple of friends and explaining to them. This is that that acting class is the most precise picture of LA I've ever seen because <laughs> it's it's exactly. Yes. You know, it was just it was just really spot on. Yes. Yes. In, in terms yes. of like what happens when you're around a group of people right. who are surrounded by themselves. You know. It's right. Just, it was just amazing. <laughs> uh, yes, I, I I've had a little bit of experience with. Uh, I did a, a, a writing group that was also an actors group where we would put up scenes from our scripts with actors who were like looking for stuff to do, um, and uh, so that that kind of. St- stench of desperation that permeates every interaction <laughs> with something that I was extremely familiar with. And it's it's scary. It's a little, it can be the sort of thing that's like dream deadening because it's like, oh, am I just a part of this like sort of, you know, desperate thing? And the answer is like, yes, you are. And, you know, fate kind of deals certain cards and, and it works out for some people. But it is, it is, uh, it, it, it's amazing how widespread that, that culture of just like, you know, trying and clawing and 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 that 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 vibe. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a very. I, I lived out there for a while, and it's just such a weird thing. It was sort of like you would start a conversation with somebody, you just wait for it to make that turn, right? And, you know, <laughs> where they were going to they, they were going to like see if you could hire them or yes. make you make you read their script. Right, right, <laughs> right, right. It's a lot of uh, yeah, yeah, a lot of like you know trying to be the the funniest person in the room yeah. next to this per- important person and. Like that kind of stuff, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I know it well. I'd be curious to hear about. I want, I want to talk about the movie that you're screening tonight. But mm-hmm. just um, while we're on the thread of writing, you know, the the idea of what's what is your writing process? Do you see more value in doing it solo, or you've done a lot of collaborative writing? You know, what's do you have any strong opinions about either of those specific processes? Um, I, I love writing um, with uh, my writing partner Kyle Mooney um, uh, for for, for Brixby Bear. Uh, was probably the most fun experience I've ever had writing anything. Um, but, uh, you know, he has like a day job that's in New York and another state. So, um, uh, and, and I started writing alone. So that's kind of like, you know, where, uh, I, I kind of know myself the best. So I, I like writing just as a sort of like escape as like a thing that I can do during the day to sort of like be myself and then, and, and, and feel like myself and, and, and get it all out. And so, uh, being, a solid is something that's very necessary to me and I have a very sort of strict just like you know eight o'clock at the coffee place in my neighborhood and then running and then writing in the afternoon I, I, I have that stuff and then when Kyle's in town or when I'm working on something with uh, multiple people um, it's a much more of like a sort of like we're hanging out in my house and kind of like watching YouTube videos and then sort of like having ideas and putting stuff on a whiteboard and I love that too because you spend enough time alone in your house and not going into an office and not interacting with people you start to feel like crazy and you know I have days where I'm like I haven't t- talked to anyone today yeah. you know, I, I talked to, talk to my dog <laughs> right it's just, yeah, I talked to my dog too it's when lot. the dog starts answering that I figure there's probably something <laughs> weird going on well, you mentioned yeah. you mentioned Kyle Kyle Mooney who's a cast member for SNL I feel like that specific type of genre it lends itself to writers around a table yes. you know versus um, you know a desperate singer songwriter you know who probably doesn't do a lot of <laughs> co-writing but like that, right. that, that genre just seems like it, you, you feel feed off of each other and and the collaboration is really what is the secret sauce to getting that out there definitely definitely and writing with you know Kyle's not just uh, he's a brilliant writer uh, and his you know he has like the uh, you know extremely you know insane 
and great ideas. Um, but he's also an actor, and like he, as someone who's like we're writing the character for him, it was almost like you know having a cheat sheet where it's like you know you have to put in so much work into imagining characters, and when I can just have dialogue and just ask him questions as like you know another character, and like hear him say it, it's like oh I'm just sort of you know we're just transcribing this like it, 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 it it's much more fun and freewheeling. Um, so I, I, I really love that. Um, and I, I spent a little bit of time on a, 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 in a TV writer's room as well. And that was, a, that was really fun. Um, but I, I could also see it being like a, a kind of a grind over a long enough period of time. So I really like having both, um, you know, solitary and, and together. The combination of that feels like a release in different directions. Um, I wanted to hear about, so this sort of being the, the first quote unquote big project or one that's really gotten a lot of interest, you know, uh, one conversation that Ralph and I always talk about is just criticism and uh, getting, having critics look at your work and Rotten Tomatoes and sort of how that drives people to watch or, you know, doesn't watch is, was that something that you, were you picking up every uh, article that came out that reviewed the movie <laughs> itself or... Um, you know, did you shy away from that? Um, I definitely, well, at first it, it was like, I was obsessed with it and, uh, beca- mostly because in, you know, the context of a premiere at Sundance where we hadn't really shown it to anyone except our family and friends. And we had watched it over and over again, trying to get the edit ready in time for the festival and wondering, is this good or not? And seeing it at first as like an assembled cut and nothing ever is good at that stage and sort of like letting that kind of dictate your emotions all the way down. And, you know, it's lots of, it's lots of false summits of like, Oh, if we can just get it, get a movie made, if we can just get it finished in time to submit it for this festival, we could just get accepted into this whatever. And then it's like, can we, can we sell it? If we don't sell it, we're going to be doomed. And so in the reviews are a big part of that. So when it first came out, um, you know, there was a screening and it was just the reaction of the audience was the only thing we had to go on, but we were terrified. I I had no idea how people were going to respond. So those first kind of reviews that all came out around the film festival, I was obsessed with reading. And then I started reading some more, um, uh, you know, critical, which, you know, I, I don't think it's a perfect movie. I, 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 it's hard to sort of like start at a place of like anything that's against this movie is like wrong. You know, it's, it's such a weird uh, place of, of ego to come from. So um, I, you know, I, I, I believe it all. And I was definitely sort of like a little bit free out by it but also sort of like you know this is this is cool that like just the idea that anyone's job would be to to watch my movie and give an opinion on it is <laughs> is is funny even if you didn't like it then it's just kind of like a, a fun prank that you know it's just like a byproduct of of you know achieving the, this this crazy dream so i i try not to let it affect me too much but uh it's definitely all in the back of my mind there's a couple like phrases that i was just like they've definitely stuck with me and <laughs> have affected That's, my writing that's how student yeah. evaluations are for yeah. us. You get like that one that's like, he was kind of awkward in office hours. You're like, huh, I am. Actually, my first full-time teaching thing, I got, I got somebody wrote in large capital letters, I hate Ralph. Oh, my God. And I was just like, really? I mean, really? 
Does that? I mean, because that's a big investment in emotional energy. Yeah, and, yeah, and exactly. It's, like, nah, it's so broad too. Yeah, it's like let's dial mean, this down. Like yeah. let's yeah, or at least give me something to work on. Just you know, across <laughs> right. the board. I'm like, you know. <laughs> but it does. They do stick with you. And I'm sure there was positive ones too. You're like, I never thought about that, and that makes total sense. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, there, there are there are really positive ones, but I think that like the guiding principle, and we kind of talked about this, and and you know, Kyle, someone who's been dealing with like a, a spotlight much longer than I have, and he was sort of like. He doesn't read reviews at all just because he was like, you know, if you believe the good ones, you have to believe the bad ones, too. And it's just like it can become a mess um, when you're trying to just like focus on being creative and and using your voice. Um, But uh, there was a couple that I, you know, were were huge shot in the arms of just, you know, confidence. And there was a New York Times review that was very kind to us that that, uh, uh, you know, was was awesome. Um, And uh, and so uh, but. I, I try not to take too much of any of it seriously. You also did, you decided not to do something simple. You right. decided to do something really, <laughs> like right. You know, it's this doesn't log line well. It's yes, not, it's, we had it's no fun. idea if it was going to work at any point in the process or whether or not people would even want to read it after we told them what the premise was. You yeah, know? yeah could, would you mind setting that up for the audience? Just given the short elevator version of sure. what the, the the plot is of the movie. Yeah, sure. Um, and so it's about a, uh, a man who uh, is in his late 20s who is obsessed with a weird children's television show um, that looks like it's like a lost TV show from the 80s called Brigsby Bear um, starring a large uh, talking animatronic bear that goes on like space adventures. Um, and it's it's really weird and uh, we see that it's, it's his entire life and he's living in this bunker in what appears to be a kind of post-apocalyptic Apocalyptic landscape um, with his parents, and they're kind of in a bunker, and he's not allowed to go outside. And uh, the twist of the movie this is a spoiler if you want to remain completely spoiler free. <laughs> skip skip but ahead, it, it happens. Yes, this, this is, the twist happens in the first like 15 minutes, yeah. <laughs> um, which is that uh, there's uh, a raid on this bunker, and uh, he's rescued. And you find out that it's it's modern day, and there's no apocalypse. He was uh, someone who was abducted as a, as a baby um, and brought and raised in this bunker with uh, Briggsby Bear, this television show that he's obsessed with as a kind of brainwashing tool of control. Um, which he... Children's television brainwashing control? <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> um, so he gets out into the real world and his parents are there and he, he doesn't understand any of it. And the only thing that he's concerned about is what happens on the next episode of Briggsby Bear. But this is a show that his parents were creating to control him. And so it's uh, effectively canceled and uh, he takes it upon himself to um, finish the story basically just because he has ideas about how he wants it to end and that sort of becomes like a, a monomania kind of like focus for him of uh, creative project as a way to sort of deal with the trauma of what is having sort of you know understand his life and understand what has happened mm-hmm. so and it's a comedy uh, ostensibly so well, I was just going to say it's kind of in there's there's like a little genre about uh, like I was thinking uh, Truman Show for example mm-hmm. where it's sort of like the, the, the media world and the real world are pretty interchangeable yes yeah Truman Show is a big influence um, on uh, on the on the tone and, uh, and a lot of the themes of the movie it's something we thought about a lot um, and uh, yeah the, the, there's a lot of those kind of things uh, uh, being there was a big uh, uh, influence on it um, and that's again someone who's sort of like just watched a bunch of TV and gardens and that's all he kind of mm-hmm. knows um, but uh, yeah it's always been something that has interested 
us as sort of pop culture obsessives and getting to the root of you know why do we care this much like why do we you know what's 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 keeping us there like what's what's pushing us forward and away from it and and uh, sort of uh, trying to understand that. So I what guess. was what was the kids TV that got you when you were young and vulnerable? <laughs> uh, Sesame Street got its definitely got its hooks into me. Um, I, I remember when I was in Maryland as a very young kid, we had two PBS stations that played Sesame Street um, back to back on different sort of time periods. So it was like two hours of Sesame Street every day. Um, and uh, I feel like, I, I really genuinely feel like it's responsible for a lot of my personality and who I became as a person and my sort of like moral value system and a lot of stuff like that. Um, but then there was also a bunch of trash too, like all of this sort of 80s cartoons that were just trying to sell me toys and stuff and (laughs) stuff that you care so deeply about and try to unlock the mystery of and it was just some guy in a t-shirt like trying to like make a new toy you know it's like there was a cynical angle to to a lot of it Um, but uh, Kyle is someone who is very obsessed with like VHS culture and so he you know is always picking up new random um, things that he finds Uh, a lot of like Christian television shows from like the mid early 90s um, that are completely insane and you know with a very clear there's something that's called uh, prayer bear that we we watched a lot of that is absolutely insane he's you know he teaches kids to prayer and he loves ice cream and it's it's, it's um <laughs> It's wild. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that stuff left such a huge and lasting impression on us. Um, and uh, I think that was part of the fun of the movie. It's like we just want to build an animatronic bear and build these sets and, like, you know, make a weird TV show. So. How many people have come up to you and asked you, like, like I've – come to understand that like animatronics is a thing a lot of people are into particularly <laughs> the lack of animatronics at you know Chuck E. Cheese now like that's yes, there, there's, right. there's a documentary what is it now it's like is it video or is, yeah it's all yeah. it's all video walls but um I mean it's you, that's pathetic go, go, that's just, go yeah. ebaying for some vintage uh, Chuck E. Cheese band characters because they go for a ton of money but this is like there was a uh, documentary that came out called Rock a Fire Explosion yes yes and um, I, I, I didn't know if that if there is an overlap between the crowd who likes that documentary and the crowd that likes <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, we, we love that documentary and uh, the Rock of Fire explosion is uh, it, it's really an interesting it's an interesting story because the, the guy who created all that stuff is also, um, he was a big influence on the character of uh, that Mark Hamill plays, ah. Ted, and he sort of, uh, he had a warehouse where he had all these animatronics and contraptions and was inventing like, you know, carnival games and um, and, uh, you, you know, I, I, he was kind of a weird guy. So we just sort of like went one step left of that. And so what, what if he was like a weird sort of apocalypse cult, like outside artist type person? <laughs> you know, it's just like one little nudge into that weird zone. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's something that's just magic about the a- actual animatronics and having a puppeteer on set, you know, do the voice. He was doing the voice and, 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 and moving it around. There was a performer in the costume. And uh, it was it was it was really incredible to 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 watch it 
come to life. It made it uh, it made it feel very real and, and nostalgic and uh, stupid, uh, which, we, which we really like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, juxtaposing nostalgia over the apocalypse is, I think, brilliant. Right. That's right. Right. That's yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because I mean, we it's like it's such a double edged sword that we see it as like this kind of like cocoon that you can escape into and and that people do escape into to to just be able to sort of like you know not read the IPCC reports and then and, and, and not not think about these mm-hmm. things and just sort of like have this endless loop of like you know remembering and and, and just disappearing in that um, and uh, you, you know also but the sort of genuine comfort and joy that that we receive that feels like necessary sometimes too and and trying to sort of like um, uh, trying to pair that I guess and and, and, and explore it a little bit uh, but it definitely seems like something that you know it felt very right now this idea of a kid who's sort of like oh yeah there's the world is dead but like what happens next mm-hmm. on my favorite TV show yeah, it's, I, I think about. if you're I mean if you're in a creative side like that then imagining the activity of a fictional person makes sense because you have to do that right to do the work yes but uh, have you ever found yourself in conversations with people who do that and they're not really they just start talking about Sherlock Holmes like he's a real person <laughs> yes and, and absolutely it's just like you start backing away right <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 There's a disconnect there, and I mean, I mean, I'm 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 that type of person too. So I, I I've definitely slipped into that before. Uh-huh. Um, uh, but yeah, it's funny. I mean, it's the, the these things just sort of like seep in and affect us in ways that we don't fully understand. And I think for my generation especially is like is uh, is more susceptible to it in a lot of ways. Um, always sort of looking back, always kind of like you know maintaining these things as like the important sort of like you know. Star Wars fans, I think, is a very good example of this. There's a lot of, you know, grown men that are taking very serious, like, internet campaigns to <laughs> right the perceived wrongs of the news. It, it, it's crazy to me, um, but it's also something that I can kind of, like, see in myself, like, in the back of my yeah. head. So. There's a, you know, we're also in a, in a time now where there's just an overwhelming amount of media that we are, yes. you know, we're, we're, and we're at, a, at a point where when you have conversations with people who consume the stuff regularly, there is more actually pretty high quality stuff out there yes then you have time to consume yeah so it's, it's, a very, it's a very strange time for that it really is yeah I, I think that uh that was part of the excitement of like this this world where there's only one thing it's the you know for for this character this is the only story he's ever been told there's no bible there's no there's no anything it's 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 brigsby bear and that's it and in this day and age when we're just like there's this deluge of content and i'm just like you know it's my job to to watch and know about things and it's exhausting to me like i can't keep up with it and so um i i i think it's doing very strange things to our brain it's like that constant sort of like automatic play next like world yeah, where we're yeah. just sort of like zombified by it um and then the idea of just like oh what if there was just one thing you know yeah. and it's like <laughs> it's all you had to pour yourself into and and it was a story that you know didn't have an ending there was no ending to it so it's just like this constant you never it's the only story you've ever been told and it's never been resolved in any way there's never been any catharsis you know yeah um so yeah that was really interesting yeah it's like the the, the telenovelas that the, you know the whole structure yeah. is you don't <laughs> right. you don't want it to right. end you just want it to go on yes on. Uh, right, exactly. Um, yeah, which is kind of my, my nightmare. I worked in a record store for uh, in between things in college, and I, ha- I used to have this nightmare of like going to work one day, and, and this is vinyl, you know, round 12-inch things with a hole in the middle, and uh, the entire <laughs> oh, record store. Oh, we know. We're millennials. Right, okay. <laughs> well, the entire, Don't you worry. The yeah, entire record store was that. all copies of one album. It was all Thriller. 
It was just like hundreds and hundreds of copies of Thriller. And it was still like in alphabetical dividers and stuff like that. Right. And there was a jazz section that featured, you know, another 200 copies of Michael Jackson's Thriller. And people were coming in and buying them. <laughs> and it was just it was just really bizarre. And it was partially because I was working at a record store when that album came out. And it was like absurd. I mean, it's just really weird to see, you know, this kind of like pop culture explosion like that over one particular item. Yes. You know? Yeah. And yeah. So, just in kind of an interesting thing. I wanted to ask you about uh, projects that you are working on now. I'm assuming sure. that Kyle and you are are continuing this. This is a this is a project. Do you think will evolve and continue to work on new projects? Yeah, we we have a couple things in the works uh, right now. One that's a TV show that we're doing um, with uh, with Dave, the director of Brigsby Bear, um, and uh, it's something that comes from his life. It's semi autobiographical, um, and uh, it's set in the world of uh, uh, Christian music and 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 uh, mega church sort of the concert scene and so uh, it's a it's a, it's a very strange and interesting world that we're um, getting into but along similar in tones of Brigsby uh, and uh, we're we're doing that with um, with Broadway Video uh, uh, Lorne Michaels Company um, but we're in the early stages of sort of developing that right now. Have you come back to do an anthropological study <laughs> while you're here? <laughs> yes, yeah, a few exactly. Places and... Well, California has lots of good. Uh, yeah. lots of good examples as well um, and uh, but yeah I mean it's it's we're all kind of bringing our own sort of experiences with, with that to, to, to the table and Dave's dad was a pastor um, there's a lot of interesting uh, interesting material there and also about sort of arts and you know how we sort of uh, you know relate to other people and, and and so it's sort of a backdoor way into the same kind of thematic territory um, and uh, yeah Kyle and I are working on something with um, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who were producers on Brigsby Bear, were doing another kind of, uh, uh, I would call it a spiritual successor to Brigsby Bear, um, but uh, I can't really talk about it just yet because uh, there's a lot of weird stuff up in the air, but um, it's kind of the next thing for us, hopefully. So so there's a lot of, you're, you're kind of obsessed with religion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, the, the, it is a kind of interesting with the Christian music scene was this whole thing that was going on, like, outside of the commercial sphere. Right, and it was right. so, you know, how people would tour and all of that. Yes, yeah, yeah. And it's it's such a huge audience and it, it is, you know, for someone like me, you know, it, it's not coming from a judgmental place the way that we're sort of we want to explore it it just it does feel like this alternate dimension to us in, in some way and mm-hmm. it's just such a rich sort of uh, a thing to get into but uh, but yeah it is, it's amazing it's like mm-hmm. its own sort of I think the idea of like contain worlds contain realities contain cultures is like very um, interesting to it, us yeah, it's also kind of a precursor to the way that that kind of distribution happens now in the digital world where you've got basically fan cultures and poaching and all of this right. it's kind of outside of the commercial mainstream but the, the 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 but it's so sort of all the networks of how you connect things. Yes. And yes. What was really funny was also in the middle of that in in the in the Christian world was you sort of had the the kind of off the mainstream Christian performers, and then you still had people who were saying that of course that rock was the tool of the devil. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. Uh, yes. I, I I was I was raised religious. Uh, I was raised Catholic, and uh, uh, you know very very devout Catholic uh, family. Um, but we were never told that rock and roll was evil, so I, I sort of uh, uh, escaped scot free from from that one. So it made it seem even crazier. I was like, my mom's the most religious person I know, and she lets me listen to Pearl Jam, you know. So like, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I had a, I had a strange ex- experience with it of just the idea of like we're only allowed to listen to 
this music. Yeah, like, there, it's there were, just as good. You know? there, there were some. There were these weird things that were like records that were being put out. I think mostly in the late '60s, early '70s. Um, by people who were basically recording their presentations about. So you would like go buy, you know, a Uriah Heap record or something, or Black mm-hmm. Sabbath or something, and then you could buy this record by this preacher who was going to play examples of why the one four five one chord progression <laughs> meant you were going to hell, right? <laughs> and That's so actually could, impressive. Yeah. I'd like to listen to that. Yeah, <laughs> they were they were they were just they were phenomenal. It was <laughs> just another little subcategory of something you can make in really small batches and sell at churches. And, yes, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's very funny to me just this idea of like you know because that that pop culture that's something that just entertainment could you know affect us or control us or or seep into us and like and change us in some in some way and in some religious sort of like you know it could alter your soul you know it's it's a it's a very strange idea um yeah and i remember i've also raised catholic and i remember a period of time when there was a lot of controversy about these plays about jesus you know jesus christ superstar and godspell sure yeah you know we had some liberals who were sort of like cool with it all, but then there were all these other people who were like, no, no. no. Right, right, right. <laughs> well, great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Glad to have you back in Norman. Thanks, yeah. for, thanks for stopping by campus and doing the screening and all of that. Thanks so much for having me. This has been awesome. Yeah. I, well, hopefully so people will find this in the, where would they find, how would they find this now? Um, Bridge Bear is on uh, iTunes and Amazon to rent and buy digitally. And I believe it's on Blu-ray and DVD and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so it's, it's out there. Somewhere. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, we will include links to all of those places in the show notes. Yeah. And uh, hopefully the world won't end before you get to your next project. Congratulations <laughs> thank you on this. Oh, thank Thanks you. Thanks for working. All right. Thanks, everyone.